Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. I pray that this study is being a blessing for you. We are going a little deeper into it now. We're going to study the new earth. And it's such a big study that I feel that I need to break it up possibly into thirds. But I hope that you will find it intensely interesting. Today, I'm going to just read one Bible verse and a section of a book and then move on. I don't want to wear you out. So, God bless you, brother and sister, as we go. Dear Jesus, I pray your blessing on our reading. Give us of thy Holy Spirit. Open up our understanding, I pray in your name. Amen. Psalms 115, verse 16. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Now, my book, Patriarchs and Prophets, pages 44 to 49. And I want to read it slowly enough that you get the, the beauty of it all. The Creation By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was. He commanded, and it stood fast. He laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. As the earth came forth from the hand of, of its maker, it was exceedingly beautiful. Its surface was diversified with mountains, hills, and plains, interspersed with noble rivers and lovely lakes. But the hills and mountains were not abrupt and rugged, abounding in terrific steeps and frightful chasms as they now do. The sharp, ragged edges of earth's rocky framework were buried beneath the fruitful soil, which everywhere produced a luxuriant growth of verdure. There were no loathsome swamps, swamps, nor barren deserts, grateful, I'm sorry, can't read, graceful shrubs, and a delicate flowers greeted the eye at every turn. The heights were crowned with trees more majestic than any that now exist. And if you will uh, look up for the Devil's Pile post on the internet and look for a picture of it, you will see a petrified stump of one of the trees from before the flood. The air, back to the book, the air, untainted by foul miasm, was clear and healthful. The entire landscape outvied in beauty the decorated grounds of the proudest palace. Wow. The angelic host viewed the scene with delight and rejoiced at the wonderful works of God. After the earth with its teeming animal and vegetable life had been called into existence, man, the crowning work of the Creator, and the one for whom the beautiful earth had been fitted up, was brought upon the stage of action. To him was given dominion over all that his eye could behold. For God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. Here is clearly set forth the origin of the human race. And uh, 
need a little drink of water, but um, I want to comment on that. Mm. We were made in God's image. And as you read your Bible, you will see that the Bible refers to God the Father, the Ancient of Days, the One who inhabits eternity, and His only begotten Son, who was brought forth in uh, eternity past, which is before time was created. And Proverbs 8 will explain a lot of that as uh, it refers to wisdom. And Jesus was made unto us wisdom, the Bible tells us. He is wisdom. And he was brought forth from the Father, just as Eve was brought forth from Adam. And maybe not exactly the same, because the Father, I think, just pulled from his own bosom, uh, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. And that was Jesus. And, of course, it, his name wasn't Jesus at that time. I believe it was Michael, if you read your Bible. But um, we were made in God's image. Here is clearly set forth the origin of the human race. And the divine record is so plainly stated that there is no occasion for erroneous conclusions. God created man in his own image. Here is no mystery. There is no ground for the supposition that man was evolved by slow degrees of development from the lower forms of animal or vegetable life. Such teaching lowers the great work of the Creator to the level of man's narrow earthly conceptions. Men are so intent upon excluding God from the sovereignty of the universe that they degrade man and defraud him of the dignity of his origin. He who set the starry worlds on high and tinted with delicate skill the flowers of the field who filled the earth and the heavens with the wonders of his power, when he came to crown his glorious work, to place one in the midst to stand as ruler of the fair earth, did not fail to create a being worthy of the hand that gave him life. That says a lot there. The genealogy of our race, as given by inspiration, traces back its origin, not to a line of developing germs, mollusks, and quadrupeds, but to the great creator. Though formed from the dust, Adam was the son of God. He was placed as God's representative over the lower orders of being. They cannot understand or acknowledge the sovereignty of God, yet they were made capable of loving and serving man. The psalmist says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. That would be Psalms 8, 6-8. through 8. Man was to bear God's image both in outward resemblance and in character. Christ alone is the express image of the Father, but man was formed in the likeness of God. His nature was in harmony with the will of God. His mind was capable of comprehending divine things. His affections were pure. His appetites and passions were under the control of reason. He was holy and happy in bearing the image of God and in perfect obedience to his will. As man came forth from the hand of his creator, he was of lofty stature and perfect symmetry. His countenance bore the ruddy tint of health and glowed with the light of life and joy. Adam's height was much greater 
than that of men who now inhabit the earth. Eve was somewhat less in stature, yet her form was noble and full of beauty. The sinless pair wore no artificial garments. They were clothed with a covering of light and glory, such as the angels wear. So long as they lived in obedience to God, this robe of light continued to enshroud them. After the creation of Adam, every living creature was brought before him to receive its name. He saw that to each had been given a companion, but among them there was not found an help me for him. Among all the creatures that God had made on the earth, there was not one equal to man. And God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. Now man was not made to dwell in solitude. He was to be a social being. Without companionship, the beautiful scenes and delightful employments of Eden would have failed to yield perfect happiness. Even communion with angels could not have satisfied his desire for sympathy and companionship. There was none of the same nature to love and to be loved. God himself gave Adam a companion. He provided an help meet for him, a helper corresponding to him, one who was fitted to be his companion and who could be one with him in love and sympathy. Eve was created from a rib taken from the side of Adam, signifying that she was not to control him as the head, nor to be trampled under his feet as an inferior, but to stand by his side as an equal, to be loved, protected by him, a part of man, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She was his second self, which I find interesting. He had his own self, and he had her as his, sec as his self as well, showing the close union and the affectionate attachment that should exist in this relation, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one. Now, I find this very interesting. They were not one body with two heads, but she was his second self. And she was human as he was human. Just as Jesus was God, as his father was God. And he was his, perhaps, second self. I don't want to uh, presume to understand anything. I'm just thinking about it, the way that he was taken from God as though he was his second self, and yet he was his son, and yet he was a separate body, a separate being. So I don't want to go there. Okay, just a thought. God celebrated the first marriage. Thus the institution has for its originator, the creator of the universe. Marriage is honorable. It was one of the first gifts of God to man. And it is one of the two institutions that, after the fall, Adam brought with him beyond the gates of paradise. When the divine principles are recognized and obeyed in this relation, marriage is a blessing. It guards the purity and happiness of the race. It provides for man's social needs. It elevates the physical, the intellectual, and the moral nature. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Everything that God had made was the perfection of beauty, and nothing seemed wanting that could contribute to the happiness of the holy pair. Yet the Creator gave them still another token of his love. 
by preparing a garden, especially for their home. In this garden were trees of every variety, many of them laden with fragrant and delicious fruit. There were lovely vines growing upright, yet presenting a most graceful appearance with their branches drooping under their load of tempting fruit of the richest and most varied hues. It was the work of Adam and Eve to train the branches of the vine to form bowers, thus making for themselves a dwelling from living trees covered with foliage and fruit. There were fragrant flowers of every hue in rich profusion. In the midst of the garden stood the tree of life, surpassing in glory all other trees. Its fruit appeared like apples of gold and silver and had the power to perpetuate life. Perhaps one of the reasons that throughout history of our planet, alchemists have tried to learn how to make gold and try to figure out how to um, have the, the water of life or how to have eternal life. No, we don't have eternal life. We had to have um, the tree of life in order to continue living. Only God is immortal. Um, but praise the Lord for this fruit from the tree of life. The creation was now complete. The heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Eden bloomed on earth. Adam and Eve had free access to the tree of life. No taint of sin or shadow of death marred the fair creation. The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And I want to talk about that in a second, but I need to get a sip. All right. You've read in Job where all the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan came among them. And um, they were all of the, the rulers over all of their own planets. Like Adam would have, was had dominion over the earth, Adam and Eve. And Satan came in his place. Why? Because he gave over his dominion to Satan. Now remember, Adam's dominion was under Christ. So Satan could only have dominion under Christ. He couldn't have complete dominion. Nevertheless... He had a right to then go and present himself legally in heaven as though he were one of the sons of God. Okay. I don't want to spend too much time on that. All right, let's see. The great Jehovah had laid the foundations of the earth. He had dressed the whole world in the garb of beauty and had filled it with things useful to man. He had created all the wonders of the land and of the sea. In six days, the great work of creation had been accomplished, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. That's Genesis 2, 1 through 3, and one thirty one. All was perfect. God looked with satisfaction upon the works of his hand, hands, worthy of its divine author, and he rested, not as one weary, but as well pleased with the fruits of his wisdom and goodness and the manifestations of his glory. After resting upon the seventh day, God sanctified it or set it apart as a day of rest for man. Following the example of the Creator, man was to rest upon this sacred day that as he should look upon the heavens and the earth, he might reflect upon God's great work of creation and that 
as he should behold the evidences of God's wisdom and goodness, his heart might be filled with love and reverence for his maker. Let's have two more pages. In Eden, God set up the memorial of his work of creation in placing his blessing upon the seventh day. The Sabbath was committed to Adam, the father and representative of the whole human family. Its observance was to be an act of grateful acknowledgement on the part of all who should dwell upon the earth that God was their creator and their rightful sovereign, that they were the work of his hands and the subjects of his authority. Thus the institution was wholly commemorative and given to all mankind. There was nothing in it shadowy or of restricted application to any people, such as some people say that it was the Sabbath of the Jews, but it was in place from creation. Before the Jews, God saw that a Sabbath was essential for man, even in paradise. He needed to lay aside his own interests and pursuits for one day of the seven that he might more fully contemplate the works of God and meditate upon his power and goodness. He needed a Sabbath to remind him more vividly of God and to awaken gratitude because all that he enjoyed and possessed came from the beneficent hand of the Creator. God designs that the Sabbath shall direct the minds of men to the contemplation of his created works. Nature speaks to their senses, declaring that there is a living God, the Creator, the Supreme Ruler of all. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. The beauty that clothes the earth is a token of God's love. We may behold it in the everlasting hills in the lofty trees, in the opening buds, in the delicate flowers, all speak to us of God. The Sabbath ever pointing to him who made them all, bids men open the great book of nature and trace therein the wisdom, the power, and the love of the Creator. And we can do that as we see how all nature serves each other. But I'm not going to follow that thread. Okay. Our first parents, though created innocent and holy, were not placed beyond the possibility of wrongdoing. God made them free moral agents, capable of appreciating the wisdom and benevolence of his character and the justice of his requirements, and with full liberty to yield or to withhold obedience. They were to enjoy communion with God and with holy angels, but before they could be rendered eternally secure, their loyalty must be tested. At the very beginning of man's existence, a check was placed upon the desire for self-indulgence the fatal passion that lay at the foundation of Satan's fall. The tree of knowledge, which stood near the tree of life in the midst of the garden, was to be a test of the obedience, faith, and love of our first parents. So there it was, side by side, so that every time they ate from the tree of life, they could see it, and they would be tested on their loyalty. And the fact that it may not make any sense while it was required of God was a reason why the test was so perfect, because it showed whether we would obey without understanding something and just trust God that whatever he asked was right without being, because we figured it was the right thing to do because we understood. No, just simply obey because we trust and believe. While permitted to eat freely of every other tree, they were forbidden to taste of this on pain of death. They were also to be exposed to the temptations of Satan. That was the only place he would be allowed to bother them. 
and test them. But if they endured the trial, they would finally be placed beyond his power to enjoy perpetual favor with God. God placed man under law as an indispensable condition of his very existence. He was a subject of the divine government, and there can be no government without law. God might have created man without the power to transgress his law. He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit. But in that case, man would have been not a free moral agent, but a mere automaton without freedom of choice. His obedience would not have been voluntary but forced. There could have been no development of character. Such a course would have been contrary to God's plan. In dealing with the inhabitants of other worlds, it would have been unworthy of man as an intelligent being and would have sustained Satan's charge of God's arbitrary rule. Okay, that's all I'm going to do for today. I'm going to try to break this up and make it an easy and pleasant experience. I hope you have enjoyed thus far with the new earth. It's going to get interesting as we go. And now let's have a closing prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you made this planet for man. Thank you that you have given us life, that you have a plan for us to give us a hope in the future. I pray for these ones who are here with me today, that they will find great pleasure in, in learning these things. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, God bless you today. I'll see you in the morning.